Welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. My name is H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And hey, everyone, I'm Jake Lancaster. I am an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, guys, today we are so honored to have Karen Martin as a guest on our podcast. Karen is the founder uh, CEO and president of TKMG Academy. Uh, they are a, uh, an academy that provides tons of online courses for uh, improvement work. I know that uh, we, we have some experience with TKMG here at Baptist, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But, but Karen, welcome to the, to the episode, and, and tell us a little bit about your background and, and how TKMG came about. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's a great way to wrap the week. Uh, I started in, being in operations as a you know, frontline person and then rose up the ranks and finally got an opportunity to build an operation from scratch and found that I had quite the knack for it. And my whole family were list makers and check off the list and a very precise and uh, German background. So I think it came somewhat naturally. And then I, I helped build two startups from the ground up in healthcare, both of them in healthcare, and just found that I, I loved it and I seemed to have a, a little bit of a gift in building operations and getting them well, high functioning and all that. So then when I decided to go out on my own, I decided to specialize in operations design primarily in healthcare and worked in that space 100% for about the first seven years of my consulting. And then as I expanded, I was introduced to lean, that back then it was called lean manufacturing. And I oversaw a program at San Diego State University. The very first day that I sat in on the very first class of that semester's offering, I, my head almost exploded with excitement. I couldn't believe because I had been the big W. Edwards Deming follower and, you know, big, you know, pretty big mm-hmm. in the TQM movement and things like that. But this was so much more practical and it had teeth and it, it just, it just really resonated with me. So then I just pivoted and started incorporating more and more lean into my work starting in about 2000. And then since then have, you know, written five books, a couple of them award winning and, um, we, yeah, we started the Academy only two years ago. Consulting has been in existence for almost 30 years. Um, but we started the Academy two, two and a half years ago, right when the pandemic hit and, uh, wanted to help spread the knowledge across the globe and get really good content out there. I just was finding that a lot of the content was either superficial or just not very complete. And I wanted to, I wanted to offer a little, a little more complete and a deeper view of the content that people need to be successful. Wow. You, uh, you really got in from the United States perspective. You got in on the lean movement early when, when lean wasn't cool. You know, yeah, every, right. everybody wasn't talking about lean, but, um, I have to ask TKMG, yeah. what, what does that stand for? Thank you. It used to be the Karen Martin group. And when I moved to Texas, uh, temporarily I moved here, I'm moving back to California next year, um, I had to change the name because they wouldn't allow the same corporate name to come into Texas. And so I just decided to pull the IBM thing, you know, International Business Machines, now IBM. And so TKMG is the name, uh, but it used to, it comes from the Karen Martin Group. Okay, well, that's great. We, uh, as I said, we, ha- we have some experience with uh, TKMG here, uh, several of us. Uh, I guess it was within the last year or two took the, uh, the five S course, which, which I really, uh, I really enjoyed. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That, that was a fun course. They're all fun to make. We, we take about three months to actually 
write them, develop them, scope them, and then film them, animate them, edit them. Uh, that was a, a fun one. Yeah, yeah, we were able to use some of that uh, methodology for you know, redesigning our uh, supply carts on our on our nursing units. So that that was very helpful, um, and that was one of our improvement efforts that has stopped. But I know we want to talk about today. We want to get into why improvement efforts fail or they don't stick. They work partially. Um, we we had what was it? Chris uh, McChesney on a, a few weeks back about um, you know. I guess the, the four principles of execution, and we talked a little bit about um, how to make sure you execute well. I thought that was a very good uh, discussion, but I would mm-hmm. love to hear from your you know, years of, of experience in the consulting uh, world, what you've seen in healthcare, and and why do we fail? Well, you know, you fail for the same reasons that everyone fails, and you succeed for the same reasons everyone succeeds. Um, it really is industry agnostic as far as the principles and the you know degree of success that you can experience. So there's there actually are quite a few different reasons. I mean, one of the first reasons is that people don't necessarily understand why. And so we really need to do better jobs, all of us, at explaining why something is important and the what you know what's in it for me. Why should I care about this? And you know, leaders need to walk the the talk. They need to definitely practice what they're preaching and they need to support it. And, you know, people on the front lines and middle managers and actually even senior leaders really watch and listen carefully what the senior most leaders are doing and saying. And if they aren't in full support and kind of proselytizing about improvement and continuous improvement Kaizen and all that all the time, it's really difficult for anyone when there are multiple priorities, and especially in healthcare when there's so much coming at you at once. You know, what's the first thing that's going to go is something that requires people to step out of the front lines for a moment and do some thinking and exploring and analyzing and develop designing. Uh, that's the first thing to go. So that's the first thing is leadership commitment. I can go, yeah. I can go on. You can no, go ahead. No, no, Let's no, talk that, about leaders. Let's talk about leaders. Yeah, leadership commitment, I think, is a good one to start on. And HF, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I have gotten you know, suggestions for projects from senior leaders, not here, other places I've worked, and, you know, kind of run with the project and run with the idea, and maybe I, they would check in on uh, on it uh, one or two times, and then it just kind of fades away, and they never ask about it again. Um, we've done all this work, um, but the, the momentum goes away, and the interest in it just kind of disappears. And mm-hmm. so it, to such an extent that it got to a point where if they, if I did get wind of a similar project in the future, I would kind of um, go slower in the execution of it, knowing that this this is not going to be a priority in a few months and, and they're going to be moved on to something else. Is is that, Karen, is, have you seen that before? Is that common? Yeah. I mean, I, I do spend several hours a week talking with people, primarily people that are dedicated full time to improvement, but not always. You know, often there'll be people that are just very passionate about improvement and they'll, you know, the first question will be, what do I do? You know, I want to do this. I see the need. The front lines love it when we do it, but we're not getting leadership involvement. And, you know, my answers vary quite a bit. Um, I'm a situational gal and it depends on where that person is in the hierarchy of the organization. 
It depends on how well developed their persuasion and influence skills are. You know, it depends. Actually, it depends a lot also on whether the organization has a methodical way of looking around the organization for the top priorities for improvement. So strategy deployment, also known as Hoshin Conry, is an indispensable leadership practice that makes it so much easier to get success because leaders have already come together and committed on what the priorities are. And so a lot of times it's just there's a lot of noise going on and things coming out of all directions and people are competing for resources because they think that this project or this problem to be solved is higher priority than the other one. And if you don't get everyone aligned on what the problems are to get solved, it's very difficult to get traction. So, yeah, I see people change their behaviors a lot and it makes me very sad, you know, to see really well, well intended and smart people, you know, scaling back a bit and pulling back because they don't feel like you know, what, what's the point if it's not going to stick. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's so uh, I mean, this this theme, it, it almost seems like everything that we talk about, the, the theme of the culture, the culture of the organization and that the leadership sets the culture and the the culture uh, drives the behaviors. And yeah. unless unless that's not unless it doesn't start at the top, just just as Jake said, uh, you know, the interest and the trust that uh, there's going to be support from from leadership to to continue these uh, improvement efforts. The trust is lost. And, yeah. and if you don't have the trust, um, you know, you're 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 setting yourself up to fail. Well, I think a lot of uh, industries suffer from this, but I think healthcare suffers from this. What I'm about to say a little more than others. And that's the, you know, almost a resignation to the current state. You know, it's almost like, well, this is just how it is. This is just how healthcare has always been. This is how healthcare will always be. And that is so far from the truth. You know, I mean, we've never met a process that couldn't be improved. And there are processes in healthcare across many health systems that are so ripe with opportunity because they've been ignored for so long and people didn't have their proper glasses to look at processes through different lenses that, you know, it's, I mean, there is so much opportunity to get healthcare into a really high functioning, well oiled machine. And I, I often say that it just, it slays me that we are so advanced with medical technology and, and you're so advanced on the treatment and diagnostic um, side of healthcare and, and prevention um, to a very large degree too. But yet the actual execution of services, those processes are archaic really archaic and um and i just you know it just you know i've been in healthcare my whole life and it bothers me to see that there isn't more sense of urgency that we have to improve the service delivery side of healthcare in a huge way mm. and, and, and so you you mentioned uh, tkmg has you know been around for 30 years have you seen improvement or are we, no. are we where we were 30 years ago? No, yeah. no, definitely not where we were 30 years ago. I always want it faster, more, more faster, right? right? Um, there's, it's a big world out there of, of opportunities in healthcare, especially. Um, it's definitely better. Like, for example, you know, I'm old enough to remember back in the day where, you know, surgical teams would never even think of having a checklist. You know? And now oh, yeah. it's, it's common practice, you know. Um, I remember back in the day when laboratories would take three days to get a simple, complete blood count result out to the ED. No, not, not that bad. I was a former 
clinical lab scientist, medical technologist. So we were oh, under great okay. pressure, <laughs> great yeah. pressure to get results out quickly. Um, you know, yes, it's definitely better. It, there's, you know, the attention to hospital acquired infections is higher. The, you know, but I do think what, what worries me is the skill building is not fast enough. Uh, you know, it, it can't, you can't have a team of specialists, health, um, improvement specialists go into a large health system and make a big dent fast. Um, it takes, it takes building the skill sets of especially middle managers. You know, senior leaders have a lot on their plate to look at, you know, the big picture and the strategy and vision. And they're also dealing with a lot of politics in healthcare that, you know, the average patient probably has no clue how much, how much goes on politically and funding wise and all of that. Um, but the, the front lines, um, also need to be very, very skilled up to the level that they can be. And they, I mean, I just, I just fundamentally disagree with the premise that we have to have all these specialists in, 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 in improvement in order for improvement to happen. You know, I think you need specialists in improvement to teach others. And, um, we need to spread it much more quickly than what it's spreading. Sure. Um, Talking about not being able to sustain or or not the improvement efforts, not having them stick. Let, let's assume that okay, you you have you have buy-in from leadership, and, mm-hmm. and and that that's not the issue. Do you think that a lot of times we focus on too much on the the improvement work itself, and we don't plan enough for what what is our plan for sustaining? How are how are we going to ensure that this improvement work that we've done is going to continue, i.e. with with follow up, with audits or, or whatever. Is that some of the problem as well? Is lack of planning initially? Yeah, yeah. This this week's been so interesting. Almost every conversation I've had has somehow morphed into a discussion about process ownership, process measurement. Um, you know, how do you how do you get processes to sustain? And there are a couple of different fundamentals that have to be in place for them to sustain once they're improved. And one of them is, you know, documented work. And I won't share who the health system is. Was it you guys? But I went to a health system, you know, kind of in the mid, you know, like, I don't know, 2010, 11, 12. But it was one of the first health systems that was getting a lot of accolades for their their lean work. And, you know, they had a pretty good management system in terms of daily management boards and huddles. And they were doing some pretty good work with problem solving But when I asked the question about documented processes, the only thing they could produce in any of the areas I visited, and I have visited a lot, were old school, you know, incredibly verbose and wordy SOP, standard operating procedures, policy and procedure manuals, you know, all this stuff that is so not usable. (laughs) <laughs> you know, nobody can use that when they're in the heat of the fire doing their job. Um, and, and new hires, it makes it so hard to train new hires if you don't have simple visual standard work in place, job instructions, job aids, checklists, you name it, um, laminated cheat sheets, you know, all those things. And so, you know, I think we, we have a fundamental flaw in our thinking sometimes that just because we make an improvement, we don't really have to document it because we can tell people and they'll, they'll do it and they'll remember it. That, no, they don't. And, um, and so you have to have a really robust and disciplined approach to documenting. And then you have to have a really robust and disciplined approach to measuring. What does success look like? Are we hitting it? Why aren't we hitting it? Root cause analysis, close the gaps. You know, it needs to be there. There's, we just, 
we don't have process literacy in the West. Um, it's, it's really strange that we don't spend and haven't spent more time, um, getting people to understand how to actually watch a process and make sure it's still meeting standards and that it's performing as it should. I think that, you know, that's a really good point about, you know, why in healthcare we're not, we don't have an improvement stick. But I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, one of your books called Clarity. Um, I haven't read it, but um, I, I assume, you know, Clarity of Purpose is is part of the reason why improvements uh, would would succeed. Um, and we've talked about this before, but at the, in the heat of the pandemic, maybe the first few months, we had probably the most clarity of purpose that I've ever seen an organization have, you know, not just our organization, but, you know, really healthcare system across the world. Um, but yeah, we had, you know, senior leaders meeting multiple times a week on this one problem. Uh, we would have town halls with hundreds of people joined from across the organization. We talk about our plans well, and share the data about what was going on, where we are. And it was very clear that, you know, as an organization, we were geared toward that purpose. Now, as we went through COVID, we did notice that a lot of our other initiatives that we had been working on for years uh, waned a little bit. So, you know, hospital-acquired infections around the country have gotten worse. Um, you know, clavsies, caudies, everywhere got worse during the pandemic. And that might be because our efforts were focused on a, on a different problem at that time, and there was less emphasis on on those other pieces. But, but one of the issues we have in healthcare is that there are hundreds of competing priorities that we all try to do at the same time, and the same people are expected to do all of those at the same time. And as humans, we really can't focus that much on that many things at once. So how, as an organization, can we position ourselves uh, you know, to focus on the things that really matter? Mm-hmm. Yes, very good question. So my the pre the predecessor to Clarity First is my book, The Outstanding Organization, and I talk about the four fundamental behaviors or conditions that all top performing organizations, and it's not just you know business entities and healthcare organizations, it's sports teams, it's military operations, it's it's uh, in the creative arts, you know, uh, symphonies and things like that, and those four fundamental behaviors or conditions are clarity, focus discipline and engagement. Now, none of that sounds like rocket science, right? <laughs> and yet all four of them are, you know, shockingly um, not top, not, not common. I mean, you don't see them being done in high levels in a lot of organizations. And so focus, when I talk about focus, it gets back to Hoshin Conry or strategy deployment is, you know, you have to pick your priorities and you need to get leadership consensus around those priorities. And consensus doesn't mean that every leader, you know, 100% agrees with the, the list of priorities. You can have someone that vehemently disagrees with one of the priorities, but they commit to it because it's committing to the greater good. And so you have to do fewer things at once. I have a very fast little time study or time game. It's a game that I show people that when you task switch back and forth and back and forth from project to project and you only meet once a week and all these things that we do thinking that this is the way to get, you know, results and get you know, good results, it actually takes, you know, two, three, sometimes four times as long 
uh, to get work done if you don't have fewer priorities at once. And every time an organization we work with has, you know, drank the Kool-Aid, if you want to say that, but really believed it. I mean, they, they saw it in practice I and mean, they believed it. They were able to get two, three, four times uh, the projects done in the same period of time than what they did prior to that when they were trying to multitask, and, which doesn't exist with cognitive mm-hmm. tasks. So it's, I mean, it is so simple and genius, but yet, you know, we have human beings involved with habits and belief systems and mindsets and um, thinking that, you know, hurry, hurry, let's do this, let's do that, you know, is, is the way. It's not the way. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you mentioned multitasking and, and just on an individual level, you know, we used to think that being able to multitask was a talent. But we really, we really have found out, you know. Being able to focus is a talent, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Being able to focus and, 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 and not, uh, you know, and sometimes we, we feel like when we're super duper busy doing a gazillion different things that we're actually, that's a good thing, but it's really not. I mean, no, because, it, because we're really not getting much done. No, and when you mentioned the, you know, I did think that was a, a stroke of brilliance happening in the healthcare industry during COVID. But I think that, you know, we have to think about what were the different conditions that made it so that everyone was on the same page and has a very strong sense of purpose. It was life and death. I mean, there's nothing more, you know, more to rally troops, especially healthcare troops than, you know, life and death. And that's true, you know, in any industry. And so, you know, I think we have to think about, well, why is it that it takes life and death to get consensus and alignment you know, all the troops marching in the same direction. Why is it that your other projects were allowed to wait while you were doing this one very important thing? Why can't we adopt that kind of thinking on a regular basis? Why do we need a pandemic? And if we need a pandemic, how about this? How about we start thinking about the pandemic of burnout employees in the healthcare system and high turnover? How about we think about the pandemic of customers that are not being treated with respect? You know, how about we think about the people that hate going into the healthcare system at any level because they know it's going to be just a, a you know, a, a clunky customer service, <laughs> customer experience, you know, that make that a pandemic and let's, let's rally the troops around that. You know, uh, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, of course, I, I think about, you think about the pandemic and, and there was such a sense of urgency and, and really, you know, of course, I wasn't alive at that time, but but reading about history, it seems like the last time that happened was during World War II. You know, when 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 our very existence was threatened, and how much how much did we get done during that era? And and how you know because we were all focused and we had constancy of purpose. Mm-hmm. And and you're right. Why why you know why does it take a pandemic? Why can't we get passionate about uh, about other things? And that's a great point. And back to the stickiness. There are things that we did, you know, in the early days of the pandemic that we need to undo now, essentially. Um, we have things built into the EMR that are no longer relevant. We have order sets, alerts, et cetera, protocols for testing everybody, universal masking for everybody, et cetera. It is so hard to undo that. Um, you know, for better or worse, but I, I think that proves the point when you have clarity and you have that sort of engagement and commitment, 
that you can have things that stick around even even if they maybe stick around longer than they, they need to. Yeah. And you, go ahead. No, go, go ahead, Karen. No, no, go you ahead. go. No, 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 no. You're our guest. Go ahead. <laughs> I feel like I'm back in Pennsylvania when two cars or four, three cars get to a four-way stop. It's like, you go. No, 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 you go. No, exactly. you go. And, and they all sit there. <laughs> I was raised in Pennsylvania. Um, so I was going to go back to the statement you made kind of earlier on about the, the cart and, you know, rearranging, five-vesting the carts and getting them and it didn't stick. So, you know, one of the No, that one things, did stick. Sorry. That did. Oh, that one did stick. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good, good, good. And why did it stick? Oh, I think it was because it was a it was a physical thing that we did across multiple units at a hospital. Um, now maybe it's early days; it's only been there for you know six months or less. So if you look back in three years, maybe things get out of sync again. I know my closet that I5S has, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm hopeful that it, it will stick. Uh, what were you going to say about it? Well, so stickiness, the other, the other factor in stickiness is the people themselves being involved in it and, um, deciding what, what needs to happen for the work to be easy, safe, you know, successful and all of that type of thing. So my guess is, but um, that's why I asked, why, why did it stick? My guess is you had some pretty good frontline involvement in that. Is, is yes, that a fair statement? Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, the supply chain group for that hospital was, that stocks the shelves and the nurses were heavily involved. Yeah. So when, when, you know, a team of people that are the ones actually using the process day in and day out or involved, it's much, much higher chance of sticking. You know, what doesn't work is, you know, someone from a consulting firm, you know, a leader, a peer, anyone coming in and saying, here's what you need to do. <laughs> do this. And that, that just doesn't work. I mean, we're not wired that way as human. We need to, we need to use psychology in our favor, not fight it, you know, um, and no one likes being told what to do when it's something that they do and they know the best. They are the experts in doing the work. And so they need to have a very strong voice in design, testing and implementing. And then the other thing is about the unraveling of a process. You know, if you don't get it, it's not just designing it and rolling it out. It's designing and rolling it out in a way that everyone understands what they're gaining from it and what the purpose was in the first place and all of that. I'm a big believer in charters, you know, and, and, and it's like a simple eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that before you do pretty much anything, you get absolute clarity on why are we doing this? What problem are we going to be solving? You know, who's involved? What do we hope to achieve? How are we going to measure it? You know, and what's whether the main steps going to be so that everyone in the work area knows before you even start what this process is going to be about and and what why it's why it's important that clarity of purpose again. Sure. Well, I, I think I think you you know we we came to you know two my two takeaways from this are that okay you have to have leadership buy-in you know leadership engagement uh, leadership commitment to support those improvement efforts and also you have to let the improvement work be done by the people who are actually doing the work. I mean, that, that to me, that's that's the secret sauce. Um, yeah, can I add one more to your list? It's a really good list. I, yes. I also think with back to leadership, it's not just commitment to the work. It's com- it's understanding that you have to give people time and space to do the work. You know, it, I, I see that so often that, you know, people just think you can somehow like wave a magic wand and the process is going to improve. It takes thought. It takes investigating the current state. It takes understanding root causes for gaps. 
You know, you don't have to go slow. We're not talking about analysis paralysis, but you definitely have to be given enough time. I, I talked with a guy this morning that said that he's been given 90 minutes to lead an improvement team on this one improvement they need to make. And I'm like, 90 minutes. 90 okay. minutes? You can't <laughs> even get introductions done in 90 minutes. No, that's not, um, that's not true. But, sure. you know, it's, it's, that's just so unrealistic. And as an outside consultant, I could just say, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that because I need to be successful for you to be successful. And that's not going to make anyone successful. So, um, but internal people, of course, that they don't have quite that luxury of saying, no, I'm not doing that for 90 minutes. Well, Karen, we are just about out of time and it's been such a, a good discussion and, and we certainly can tell that you're very passionate about this Mm -hmm. and uh you know we could continue talking all afternoon and 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 along those lines we would like to um have you back to discuss uh discuss one of your books uh in in the the near future it's been it's been a good time uh visiting with you uh folks out there karen martin uh, tkmg academy please uh check it out there's a lot of uh great courses not very expensive and, and very helpful and um, I would encourage you to uh, to sign up. But uh, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare Corporation, uh, Karen, we thank you so much for being here. Also, um, uh, wherever you uh, listen to your favorite podcast for our listeners, uh, in the show notes, there is links so that you can get CME credits for, uh, for this podcast. And uh, guys, thank you for being with us. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thanks for having me.